Amen. You may be seated. Well, good Reformation Sunday to you all this morning. It is a wonderful event when we get to celebrate Reformation Day together on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day. I thought it's so appropriate that the Lord had us today in 1 Peter verse 16 talking about the freedom of the Christian in Christ. And today on Reformation Day, we celebrate our freedom from the tyranny of the Catholic Church and their teachings that led many people astray and into darkness. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, please turn again to the first letter of Peter, chapter 2. And we'll be focusing this morning on verse 16, but I'll read 13 to 16. Remember that these are the words of the Lord. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well... For those of you who are familiar with C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, in the fifth installment of the Narnia series, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, King Caspian and his crew take to the high seas east of Narnia in search of the seven lords who had served his father, Caspian the Tenth. After this has been accomplished and the, adventures, and the adventurers have sailed as far east as their ship will take them, Caspian reveals a startling contrivance. He announces to the crew that since his mission is complete, he will sail to the end of the world since he desires to know what secrets it holds. The crew of the ship becomes indignant, accusing Caspian of abdicating his role as king of Narnia. We pick up with Edmund Pevensey adding his disapproval. I say said Edmund. You cannot do this. Can't, said Caspian. What do you mean? If it please your majesty, we mean shall not, said Reepicheep with a very low bow. You are the king of Narnia. You break faith with all of your subjects and especially Trumpkin the dwarf if you do not return. You shall not please yourself with adventures as if you were a private person. And if your majesty will not hear reason, it will be the truest loyalty of every man on board to follow me in disarming and binding you until you come to your senses. What Lewis does here is just masterful. He shows us in a few short paragraphs a harmony between the freedom that comes with being a part of God's royal family 
And yet, those who are royalty are not private, autonomous individuals. They shall not, pay attention to that language, they shall not allow themselves to chase their fancies just because they have the privilege of being a king. For even as a king, for even a king is under authority and is duty bound not just to serve the one that he serves, but those whom he is called to serve. Well, Peter is making a very similar argument to us this morning, Christians. He is telling us that we are free. We are so free that we shall serve those whom God has put over us. We shall serve those whom God has put over us. And yet, we are not private individuals. We are not so free as that we get to make our own decisions. And so, even in the freedom that we, sung of, we sang of this morning in the worship of God, we do not sing of a freedom that gives us full autonomy. We are God's slaves, God's servants. Well, the outline this morning, there isn't much of one, uh, but if you like outlines, it just follows the pattern of the text. Christian, you are free. You are truly free. But you are not free to sin. You have not been given freedom to sin or freedom to use your freedom as a cover-up for sin since you are a slave of God. Well, beloved, the first thing that I want you to notice in verse 16 is that the ESV has translated the beginning of this verse, live as people who are free. Christian, you are truly free. But I want you to notice something else in this verse. Um, the verb live is not in the Greek text. The Greek text literally says as free. It literally says as free. So the Greek translators and theologians have to work through um, what verb is implied here. Now the ESV leans into the idea that all of our lives are free. In Christ we've been given freedom and so we're to live as free people. But... We've got to connect it to the verses that come before. We've got to use the context that's been given to us by the apostle. Live is not a bad word, but I prefer the word submit, which the Christian Standard Bible uses. Submit as free people. What is Peter encouraging us to do here? He is saying that it is God's will, from the previous verses, that you do good, that you submit to the divinely appointed authorities and silence the ignorance of the foolish and that you do this as a free man, as a free woman in Christ. You are to submit as free people. What a contrast, submission and freedom. You are free in Christ to submit to the authorities that God has put over you. Well, that might raise some questions. How free exactly am I? How far does that freedom extend? Well, it depends on who you are. A little more theology this morning. Augustine, or Augustine, depending on how you pronounce his name, as he read through the scriptures, he observed four different states of man from Genesis to Revelation. Four different states of the human individual. 
In the beginning chapters of Genesis, he noticed that pre-fall man was able to sin and able to not sin. The Latin for this that he used was pos pecare, pos non pecare. Man after the fall, though, was not able not to sin. Now, I know that's a double negative, okay? Just bear with me. The only thing that Augustine saw man could do, what was the, the thoughts and intentions of his heart was only evil continually. He was not able not to sin. Non pos, non pecare is the Latin. Regenerate man is the free man. He was the one who was set free. He is now able to choose not to sin any longer. He has been set free from the dominion of sin and the darkness. Pos non pecare. And glorified man, as we see at the end of all time, is no longer able to sin. And amen. Non pos pecare. No more sin. Now today, if you are joining us and you are not in Christ... The Bible teaches us from the beginning to the end that you choose every decision you choose from a sinful place in the heart. I'll say that again. If you are not in Christ today, what you choose at any given moment comes from a sinful heart and sinful motives. When I was a young man, my dad rarely ever disciplined me. But when he did, it was uncomfortable, and so I tried to avoid being disciplined as often as I could. However, uh, when I began to come to new light and understand Christ, and he began to work the conviction of sin deep in my soul, I noticed something. As the Spirit brought light to my eyes and I saw my sin, I noticed that all of my intentions and thoughts of avoiding the discipline with my dad was out of self-preservation. It wasn't because I wanted to honor my father. It wasn't because I really cared what righteousness required. It was because I didn't want to get hurt. I didn't want to deal with the discomfort. Even my good behavior was motivated from a sinful place. Charles Leiter in his very helpful book called Justification and Regeneration says, If a motion picture of even our past thoughts, let alone our past actions were to be played before our family and acquaintances, every one of us would run from the room in shame. Every non-Christian is, in his person, more repulsive to a holy God than he can ever imagine. Beloved, you can take that to the bank. There is nothing the Lord loves about those who are in darkness. They are covered in their sin and they are hopeless and helpless, and it gets worse. Let's take it one level deeper. If you were to stop sinning today, and for the rest of your life you sinned no more, what would happen when you die? If you were to stop sinning today and only did good for the rest of your life, what would happen when you died? The Bible teaches us that you would certainly go to hell that you would certainly go to hell. And the reason for this is not because you have a bad heart, but it's because you've also got a bad record. Before a holy God who keeps track of every thought, every intention, every motive, every action, He sees our record before Him and He will not let the guilty go unpunished, the Scripture teaches. 
even if you promise to never sin again, you still have a bad record. This is where our need of a Savior is most clearly seen. Bad heart and a bad record. If I was to take it one level further, it gets even worse than that. The Bible teaches us that sinful man is at enmity with God. He hates God. He despises the God who created him, the God who gives him breath and life and every good thing. He wants nothing to do with his God. Paul teaches us in Romans that there is complete and total enmity all the time in his heart against a holy and righteous God. If you are not in Christ today, please understand that you cannot please God. You will never please God. And apart from Christ, there is no hope for you when you stand before a holy God. As Jeremy often prays in his pastoral prayer, I think his favorite two words in the whole world, but God, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even in that place, he made us alive together with Christ. Even in your sin, and you're being completely incapable of doing anything about it, and with your bad record, and with the enmity in your heart against God, the Father chose to pity you. He chose to have mercy on you. He sent his most precious treasure, his own son, to take your sin from off of you that Jesus might bear the penalty himself. You remember the story in the New Testament where Jesus goes before Pilate and as he stands before the judgment seat of the Roman, a man is brought up on stage, Barabbas. And the crowd cries out that Jesus should be condemned and Barabbas should go free. This is one of the clearest pictures of the gospel that we get in Scripture. Because Barabbas is made of two Hebrew words, Bar-Abba, son of the father. What you are seeing is a guilty man walk up onto a stage with his guilt and he is judged not guilty. Whereas Jesus bears the sin and the shame and pays the price. The son of the father goes free while the son of the father bears the guilt. The son of the father goes free while God's own son bears the guilt. If you want to experience this great exchange today, beloved, please repent. Please turn from your sins. If you are convicted right now, even little ones, of your lostness, your deadness, apart from Christ, please repent. What that means is to change your mind. You need to say that everything you've thought about God, all that enmity and strife is evil and wicked and you turn from it. You want nothing to do with it anymore. That you would rather be a slave in the house of Almighty God than to continue to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season. Turn, lost one. Turn to Christ. He receives repenters. Everyone who repents and comes to Him, He does not turn them away. Children and adults will often say, but I've tried repenting and it doesn't work. I've tried to repent. 
I've thought in my head. I've tried to work it up. I've muscled it up. I've given all my energy. And it just doesn't work. The Bible teaches us that that's not true. When a man repents, when he is convicted, when like the prodigal, his eyes are open and he sees what is before him, all of the pig's food that he's been living in. His mind changes and he turns and he goes back to the Father. And today that miracle of regeneration can happen in dead hearts in this room. All over the world, the miracle of regeneration can happen at the preaching of the gospel as the Son of God bears the sin so that you can become a son of God and no longer bear sin. That is the gift of the gospel. And today, if you are in Christ, if you are able no longer to choose sin, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. What have we been set free from? Peter tells us. We have been set free from everything that held us captive. All of our lives, all of that time spent in darkness, we are free, brothers and sisters. You are set free. How can anybody submit to even wicked and tyrannical governments or even let alone a good government because you have been set free. The one problem of your life, the one eternally significant thing that you could do nothing to change, you have been set free from. You've also, by the way, been set free from the curse of sin. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? He became a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Every one of us should have hung on that cross for our own sins. We should have died. We should have been accursed by God. We should have had the Father in heaven turning his face away from us. And yet it was Jesus who bore that curse for us. You are also free from the demand the law makes on you. You must be justified by always doing perfect good according to the law of God. However, Jesus satisfied that demand. Paul says in Galatians 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So the question then becomes, if we are free, as Peter has said, if we are to submit as free people, then how do we do that? I think we need to begin by acknowledging a few things, beloved. First of all, all of our lives, we've lived in a culture that has been brainwashing us. We have lived in a culture that has been brainwashing. When you hear the word free, what is one of the first things that pops into your mind? Well, I'm an American citizen. I'm a free individual. Because of my citizenship in this nation, I'm free. And by the way, there's a lot of wonderful beauty to that. We have some blessings in this country that almost no one else in the world gets to experience. I don't want to make light of that at all. But I do want us to think in biblical categories. The Bible doesn't talk about free citizens. But it talks about people who are bound in their sin. And it talks about people who are free from their sin. It talks about people who are dead in their sin. And it talks about people who are alive. It talks about those who are lost. And those who are found. It talks about blind people and it talks about those who have been given the gift of sight. 
talks about those who live in darkness, and it talks about those who are now full of light in the Lord. It talks about the condemned, and it talks about the pardoned. It talks about a heart of stone, and it talks about those who have been given a heart of flesh. It talks about those who were held captive in the dominion of Satan. And it talks about those who are now held captive in the dominion of Christ. Who we are, that person which is seated with Christ in the heavenly places is the truly free person. According to the scriptures, this is the man, this is the woman who is truly free. This is the one who is truly liberated from everything that could hold them captive. When Corey ten Boom stood naked in a line of women at Ravensbrück concentration camp, passing by the Nazi guards to make sure that she was not hiding anything on her person. Many of those women who would go straight to the gas chambers. Corrie ten Boom was more free on that day than the man who held her captive. She was more free. And we have to think in those terms, beloved. We have got to change the way that we think. Our freedom does not come from a citizenship that belongs to us in this country, though it is a blessing. If you're going to experience the radical, life-liberating freedom that Peter is talking about here that says, I'm set free to submit. Why would I do that? You've got to think in biblical categories. You've got to think of yourself as liberated from all of this sin and this darkness, all that Jesus fought for. And when we think in these categories, submission to our government, for example, as we're in this section, becomes a get-to, not a got-to. It becomes a get-to, not a got-to. You remember the story I told you at the beginning with Caspian and Edmund and Ripachit. Edmund said, you must not do this. And Ripachit said, wait, correction, you shall not do this. Brothers, you're free. You've been set free. We get to submit. We get to submit to the authorities that God has put over us. We've been liberated from everything that held us captive. Listen to how Jesus explains this to Peter earlier on in Peter's life. When the disciples came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, Yes. And when Peter came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when Peter had said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. We, as sons of the kingdom, Jesus is teaching us, are completely liberated. We are free and we get to serve our government. Why? Because we're honoring Christ's highest law. Love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus said, let's not offend them. You're going to walk around saying, I'm a free man in Christ. I don't have to pay taxes. No. There's no need to offend them. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Go fish. You'll get some money and you can pay your taxes. That's pretty incredible. I love that. 
I love this. Jesus is saying it's a get to. It's not a got to. Right? And this is also, beloved, a barometer of your heart. Which kingdom do you serve? When it comes to government and what they're all doing right now and the fact that they're all spinning off the rails and going absolutely bonkers, what's going on in your heart? Do you remember that you've truly been set free? That no one holds you captive any longer? Even if you were to be imprisoned for your faith, you are free. You're a free man. You're a free woman in Christ. So are we, are we so free that we can do whatever we want? That's exactly the question that Paul expects you to ask. If you're speaking of freedom in Christ the way the Bible intends you to, the objection that ought to come is, so we should sin? Because God will just let us have more grace? Are we that free? Paul says, by no means. By no means. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, if you're preaching of the gospel of God's free grace in Jesus Christ does not provoke the charge from some of antinomianism, that means no law, I live without a law, you're not preaching the gospel of free grace of God in Jesus Christ. We ought to preach a gospel that sets people so free that they say, so if I repent and he saves me, I can do whatever I want? That ought to be the kind of liberation that we're proclaiming. But as Peter tells us here in verse 16, no, you're not so free as that you can sin and your freedom isn't to be used as a cover-up for sin. Literally, the Greek says, and not a freedom that is a cloak for evil. Not a freedom that you put on that is a cloak for evil. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 6. This is a freedom that goes too far. It takes the get-to beyond its limits. I'm so free, I'm not going to pay that two drachma tax. Why not? Because I'm free. I get to fill in the blank. Christians do this often. I'm so free, I get to dress like a whore. Well, there's no dress code in the Bible, right? I can do, do what I want. I don't dress like all the other girls. I'm so free, I can murder my child in the womb. It's okay, I'm a Christian. God will forgive me. I'm so free, I can put chemicals in my body, drugs, narcotics. Come on, man, the Bible doesn't say anything about weed. I'm so free, I can claim that the scriptures are ambiguous about how I educate my children. Are they? Did Jesus not teach us to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar? but give to God what belongs to God? I'm so free, I get to decide what submission to the government does and does not look like. No, you are not that free. You are not that free. And you may not use your freedom to cover up sin and sinful motivations in your heart. You're free, but you're not that free. Those who claim freedom in order to sin are just going ultimately 
from one law to another. It's so interesting. People that claim an antinomianism of freedom from law really just end up setting up another law. Usually it's their own. In those days, there was no king in Israel. So everybody did what was right in his own eyes. They weren't free. They just did whatever they thought was right. They established their own law. Paul told Timothy in his first letter, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. People would even leave the faith. They'd be liberated. They'd be set free from the faith in the end times by doing what? Devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who, here's what they do, they forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. I'm done with this faith. I'm going to go off and I'm going to do my own thing. Now, you can't eat this. You can't touch her. You can't do this. The line between licentiousness and legalism is more fine than we actually think. This is where the Corban law comes in. From Matthew, or excuse me, from Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees told Jesus, we're free to not care for our parents. Well, how'd you figure that? Well, um, we just dedicated the money for our futures to God, and so I don't have any money to give my parents anymore. But I gave it all to God, right? Look, they're even using God as a reason for not obeying God. I'm, I'm free. I don't have to take care of them. There is no place, brothers and sisters, without law. There is no neutrality in the universe. The woke church gets all of its power in this exact spot. They claim freedom in Christ. They claim liberation from sin and darkness and then throw a law back down. They have a Christian veneer, but then they go on to say we're free to ignore the racial reconciliation, which they claim to want and Jesus bought at the cross. How are we racially reconciled with people who look different and act different than us? The Son of God dying on the cross. That's how. That's how. Why do you say we need to be racially reconciled apart from the cross? Because Jesus cares about justice. There's too many people in the world that are being treated unjustly. Jesus cares about justice. Yes, He does. And that's why He died. Because you and I and everybody deserves justice. And Jesus took it. Jesus took it. You want to let justice roll down like waters? Righteousness like an ever-flowing stream? Look at the blood that flowed from the cross. That's where it flows. Are justice and racial reconciliation completely incongruent? Not at the cross. Jesus told Peter that he was the son of the kingdom and was free. But as a child of God, he gets to serve these human institutions and he ought not to use his freedom as a cover-up for doing wrong. By the way, these human institutions are God's deacons. They're God's servants. And as the pastors of a church 
are God's servants and the sheep are required to make sure they don't muzzle the ox when he treads out the grain. We ought not muzzle our government leaders by trying to withhold from them what God requires of us. Because, beloved, finally, you are a slave of God. You are owned by God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. You are chosen. You are precious. Martin Luther said, I'll try and do the best I can with this. Qui non est cruciatus, non est Christianus. That means there is not a Christian that carries not his cross. You have been liberated from sin and darkness. And then you put the symbol of your death and martyrdom on you all day long. And you carry it with you. You are not your own. You belong to the Lord. We are the freest people in the world and we are God's bondservants. We are his slaves, his slaves of righteousness. This means that we don't get to define what submission looks like. The word of God does. And we've talked about that in the past several weeks. This means that we don't get to interpret our obedience through exceptions. God commands this. Well, what if this happened? No, you don't start there. You begin with the rule and you come under the rule and then reading the rest of Scripture, all of Scripture, not being ashamed of any of Scripture, you determine if there would be a legitimate biblical exception. But we don't get to define our submission through the exceptions. We begin with the rule. We are never people beyond authority. We are always subject to the word of God. So, if you'd like some application to take with you today, as a slave of God, husbands, just as Caspian was a king, you too are a king. You are a king in your home. You are a king for your wife and a king for your children. You have also been set free from the dominion of darkness, men. So, as a husband, you must understand who your wife is, that she is the weaker vessel. She is an heir with you in the grace of life. There is no justification for harsh words or mistreatment or laziness in leading or letting her run the home since you're too cowardly and firm to take the lead. There's no place for that. Leadership in the home, like Christ, is what God commanded you to do. And you must do it with all of your might as one who has been set free. You get to. By the way, God loves a cheerful giver. What is so precious about our children when they obey without us asking? We see a little bit of that cheerful giving. That is so precious. God, how much infinitely more loves it when his people respond as those who have been liberated to come underneath his authority and those authorities he's established. Fathers, you're also free. Please don't submit again then to a yoke of slavery and act like a joyless tyrant towards the blessings that God gave you. You don't treat your car that way. You don't treat your home that way. And these eternal beings made in God's image and for His glory belong to Him. And you belong to Him and are not entitled to provoking them to anger because you refuse to seek Christ's help in mortifying the sin of anger. 
your refusal to destroy that sin, to punish it, to put it to death, does not give you a right to be a wicked man in your home. Wives, God has given you a broad green pasture in which to run. The lines for the ladies in this church and every woman everywhere who has accepted Christ, they have truly fallen for you in pleasant places. Girls, you have a beautiful inheritance. So don't make excuses for your sinful behavior towards your husband because he fails so often as a leader and a father. Your respectful and pure conduct is more powerful in your marriage than you could possibly imagine. You are not free to dress yourself as you please, walking around like a hussy because you're free from a dress code and you're not as bad as the other girls. Harlotry, as the scripture teaches us, begins in the place of the heart. And you've been set free so that by the Spirit you can put it to death. Children, if you have repented of your sins and believed in Christ, you have more freedom in this world than the wealthiest person you could possibly imagine. You are not thereby permitted then to disobey your parents when they are not looking. Little ones in Christ, those moments when you feel free, liberated, mom and dad aren't around. I can do what I want. They're never going to notice that I take that food, that candy that mom puts in the top of the cabinet. They won't notice that some of it's gone. You ought to act the part of the Christian in their presence and when they're not there. Yet so often, when they're not around, you look at, listen to, speak of, or touch or take what is forbidden of you by them, and you hope that you get away with it. Young people, can I tell you something very severe? Jesus Christ did not hang at the cross and wink at you about this. When you go reach for what is not yours, when you look what, at what does not belong to you, you covet things in your heart and your parents are around, Jesus doesn't say, it's okay. It's our little secret. No big deal. He had to die for our sins that happen in secret as well as our sins that happen publicly. So, children, today, if you've done something like what I've mentioned, would you repent, not just to God, but would you go openly repent to your parents and tell them if you've touched or taken or said or done what they have forbidden? God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Lastly, as we are in a section on submission to authority, beloved, your freedom here in the United States pales in comparison to the freedom won for you in Christ. So would you deny the God-ordained authorities what is owed to them? Paul tells us in Romans 13, taxes, respect, honor. Peter's going to go on to talk about honor next week in our passage. Would you complain to your spouse or the people at church about how terrible they are at their job when you know how your failings are many and also inexcusable? And if they take your tax dollars and they use a portion of them to go murder children, remember this, they will stand before God. And so will you since you are His servant. 
So let us serve our authorities as people who have been set free, so free and so liberated. We desire those that we've been called to submit to, to be set free as well. That we go and we preach the gospel to our statesmen, to our police officers, to our governor, to our representatives, to those who run the Senate, to the city council, anyone and everyone locally who's in charge who will listen to us. Let us go and let us preach the good news of Jesus to them. Because, beloved, I cannot say this enough, you have truly been set free. Jesus' blood is so effectual for you that sin can have no dominion over you any longer. You've been set that free. You have been transferred from the requirement to fulfill all righteousness through the law and have now received all righteousness through the grace of God in Christ. The world, the flesh, and the devil will tempt you to think that this freedom extends beyond its bounds and that you might even use your freedom to cover up something that you're doing that is evil. Though you have been set free by the Son and free indeed, as Jesus says, you are not your own. You are His own possession. You work for Him now. And in the grace of Christ, you can walk in a manner worthy of His calling. Coming free and regularly to the table of grace, as we'll do here in just a few minutes, through repentance and faith, you will find grace to help you in your times of deepest need. Beloved, if you're in Christ today, can I remind you of this? God is for you. No one can stand against you. That's how free you are. If God is for you, no one can stand against you. So, serve with joy as free people. You will always belong to God. No one can take that gift from you. You will always be free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this rich heritage of freedom that you have given us in Christ. We are free indeed. Father, there is something in that flesh that remains that wants us to submit again to a yoke of slavery. And we might even use our freedom as a cover-up for that kind of evil. Would you prevent us from doing this? I pray for every person in this room. I ask Jesus, whether they are lost or saved, that they would not be able to get away with their sin. That our sin would be discovered. Your word promises us that it will be found out. And as Jeremy has prayed already today, and we abide in Christ, not just in the morning hours, but throughout the day, would you remind us again and again and again that we have been set free from all of that which held us captive. And yet at the same time, we are your people. We are your slaves. We belong to you. We are your property. And that that will never change. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That your eyes, as you said of the Old Testament, would always be turned towards Jerusalem. Your eyes today are always set on the new Jerusalem, your people, your bride. Help us to rejoice 
because you've spoken and new life has been created and we are truly set free in Jesus. And it is in his perfect name that we pray these things. Amen.